Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down, and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Episode 13, What Not to Say, August 7th, Day 3. Life can change in the blink of an eye. The news of the Hispanic family really rocked me as I re-entered Archer's hospital room. I felt sad and low. It was unusually quiet for the constant sounds of the ICU alarms in the hallways and the hums and the buzzers of the many machines keeping Archer alive. My gaze met the gaze of my two oldest children who had been bedside with Archer. They looked a little wrung out. Without any words, we passed the baton on bedside duty. I remember reaching out and brushing Paula's hand to tell her thank you as she headed toward the door. As our eyes met, it just seemed too hard to say anything, or perhaps too dangerous as I felt that either of us would break down right then and there at the slightest opening to do so. And there just wasn't the time or place for that now. I looked at Archer, adjusted on his side, as he stared vacantly straight ahead. Hi, sweetheart, I said. But he continued to stare into nothingness. I had a shiver pass over me, the look on Paula's face a moment ago making sense. I leaned over to kiss his forehead. Hello, darling, I said. I waited. He slowly moved his eyes to look at me. Paula and Pete are around the corner in the waiting room. I'm back. It's going to be okay, Arch. This will all pass. You need to rest to get better. You've been through so much. Close your eyes, darling. Just rest. Come on. You can close your eyes. It's going to be all right. It was all so surreal. He closed his eyes, and I was grateful. Thank you, sweet God. Thank you. But it was hard to really rest in the ICU with all the sounds and noises of the trauma center. I sat bedside, and I watched Archer closely. He was growing up so fast. I studied his wavy, blondish-brown hair. It was thick and pulled back off his forehead. It had 
golden streaks in places where the sun had bleached it this summer. It also had a distinct hairline at the temples and further back on his forehead, like a man I had never noticed before. I haven't washed his hair to notice his hairline since he was a little boy. I hadn't been so up close to Archer in a long time. He worked so much at the beach club, always saying yes for the extra shifts because he loves to earn money. And then he's out with his friends many summer nights at the beach and then home for nightly croquet and my work too. We've almost passed like ships in the night this summer. Billy and I had been alternating the days of the week for who would be in Cape May, and most of our days with Archer had been marked with seeing him in the morning before work, making him coffee and making sure he got dinner and then was home at night. Archer and I, we'd had a number of good talks, though, when he was painting or designing someone's surfboard and a couple afternoons when he was actually off and I would come back to Cape May early. It's funny because I really wasn't watching Archer's face when we usually talk because he'd be drawing or painting and I'd watch his hands. Isn't that crazy? I've actually watched Archer's hands closely over the years and especially especially this summer his hands oh please lord i glanced at his lifeless hands at his side please heal archer i realized i really need to stop myself from moments like this of just slipping into despair I went back to studying Archer. There is so much I need to learn about these machines. Archer moved his head very slightly. Can I get you anything, honey? But there was no response. I wonder, what is it like for him? I hadn't noticed, really, how much his face was changing, you know? When boys go through puberty on their way to becoming men, his nose <laughs> is beginning to look like my father's, I think. Or maybe it's the shape of his eyes and eyebrows that look like my dad. <laughs> that, that means he's starting to look like me. I studied his eyebrows and his eyelids and his Roman nose. In his right nostril was a large plastic tube I looked at how they wrapped the tape around the tube a number of times to make a sort of bulb. I wondered why. I guessed, maybe, to prevent the tube from going too far into his head. I don't know. It looks like it hurts to me. Or at least is very uncomfortable. They also placed surgical tape up and down his nose to keep that nose tube in place. My eyes paused at the smoothness of the skin on his cheeks. 
despite the rest of them being blistered with teenage acne. Although it looked better than it had been. Hmm. He had never had acne that bad, but there was no escaping it once he was 16 with all the sports and sweaty lacrosse helmets. I thought it might go away when he came to the beach to work this summer, <laughs> but sweaty games of beach volleyball most nights before late night croquet and being the short order cook every day, all day in a greasy, hot kitchen grill at the beach club haven't helped. Oh, but he adored that job on the grill. I wondered if he'd be able to go back to that job next summer in some way. My eyes traveled to the one ear that faced me, his right ear. I studied it. I have looked at that ear before, his bad ear. I wondered if the accident would further affect his hearing. My eyes looked at his lips, which I really couldn't see much of at all because of all the tape on his face. As I looked closer, they had actually wrapped Archer's entire lower face with a number of rounds of white surgical tape, giving him like a muzzle, binding his mouth over and under a larger, fat plastic tube. The tape looked like it was sort of pulling. It was so tight and it looked like it might even have some of the skin of Archer's neck under his chin caught in the tape. I remembered thinking, oh my God, Archer, I cannot imagine what this is like for you. I also recalled the constant state of not really understanding the tubes they had in him. I got closer to look and I spoke to Archer aloud. The one in your mouth is fattest, but it's clear and it's got sort of moisture in it, Arch. I don't think it's for food, though. I guess it's for air and breathing. I looked to where it was hooked up, and it was hooked to a machine. And I looked back at the other one in his nose. What is that one for? I said to Archer. I guess you have two breathing tubes. Then I didn't say it aloud, but my thoughts were, Lord, I can't believe how tight they have wrapped that white tape around Archer's chin and under his nose and around his neck. But saying that thought aloud wasn't going to help Archer. So I kept my mouth shut. I wanted to go ask a nurse about that, though. I reached in my pocket and felt my other Mary medal the one I really love because it's so tiny. I got it in Lourdes for like 50 cents at most, and I love it. I felt it in my fingers, and I wondered if I could find a way to tape it to Archer's neck brace. I had laid my other one by his shoulder last night, but it's gone. The linens get changed quickly around here, and I wasn't here when they did the chest tube surgery and they probably changed them after that. Well, now I know. Archer lifted his head and seemed all of a sudden in real distress. I raced to go get a nurse. 
They came in and suctioned him, which allowed him to breathe again a little bit easier. I noticed how no one seemed to dare move his neck brace. I better not touch it either. I want to get Archer off of all these tubes. It must be awful. They left. And I studied Archer again. I looked at his hands, his large hands, and how they lay at his side. And he was so long. The sheets and the many pillows on his bed over him were clumsy because of the tubes coming out of his sides. It's like they were banked to create a sort of buffer. I felt a bit fearful myself as I really wanted to be so very careful not to disturb them in any way. Oh, my Lord, I could only imagine the pain it would cause if one of those inch and a quarter chest tubes jammed into his side were to be moved in any way. I continued to study Archer, and I paused and looked at his feet. Oh, my gosh. Can you believe Archer told Pete he could feel his feet? Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's so exciting. So if he feels his feet, I know he will get his arms and hands back, too. I just know it. I just know it's only a matter of time before his nerves regenerate and his whole body comes back online. A nurse came back in. I turned to her, and in my excitement, I told her about our good news that Archer had said earlier today he had felt his feet. I could tell she was busy. She went about whatever she was doing without looking at me. But you know what she said? She said to me, Oh, yeah, it's just swelling. Yeah, that's what the young lady in here earlier told me too. But I told them the same thing. It's just the swelling. I felt like someone had hit me with a two by four, like knocked across the room. She said that to them, to them, Paula and Pete and Archer. How could she say that? I now knew the ashen look on Paula's face and the reason for Archer's empty stare. That nurse sucked all the hope out of that room. Archer's hollow stare flashed in my mind. She may have even sucked the life out of him. I was mad. And it all happened so fast in just one sentence. And then she was gone. I wanted to say, you goddamn selfish, uncaring, you know what? That's how I felt. Her arrogance and heartlessness really stunned me. She said that to my children. Did she have any idea of the impact of his injury on them? And she said that in front of Archer. 
She totally discounted Archer's report. His reality. Did she not understand? Even if it could have been swelling. How does she know? She's not in Archer's body. She's not God. It was thoughtless and reckless for her to say that to a young person. To anyone with a spinal cord injury who just came out of surgery and is fighting for their life in every way. It was thoughtless to say that to Archer's siblings sitting with him, keeping his spirits up to fight for his life. Flat out heartless of her to say that a sensation he thought he had was not real. It was cruel. And the more I thought about it, the angrier I got. Nurses, they have a lot of power. They have experience and knowledge. That's a lot of power. She used her power to trample the beginning of emotional healing and the restoration of well-being. I hated that woman in that moment. What not to say. Even if something seems true about someone else, is it really? It might be potentially true or partially true or mostly true, but none of us knows what is another's experience. We don't. And none of them knew Archer's truth. F you, nurse. Hey, nurse, have you ever been paralyzed from your neck on down? No arms, no hands, no legs, no feet. Unable to talk, to breathe, to move, even to inch from side to side, but just trying to figure out the landscape of your life. And maybe even if you want to live, have you, nurse, have you? No, you have not. F you. That is not what she should have said at all. She could have said to the kids and to Archer or to me. Now to we proclaimed our joy over Archer, saying he had felt his feet. She could have said something like this. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Swelling can often mimic those sensations, we're told. But who knows, right? Wouldn't that have been infinitely better? Wouldn't that be a little more kind? Wouldn't that also be a little closer to the real truth that no one knows. Had she said that, I would have brightened and felt hopeful. Had she said that, Archer might not be staring into oblivion as if he were empty, checked out on living. In that one comment, she ripped that 
fragile membrane between reality and what might be possible, which was holding us all together. I did not like her. I did not want her in our room. She was one of many nurses, and I was keeping track in the back of my notebook. You know, you can learn a lot about people in just one interaction. But my mom always said, don't judge a book by its cover. I know, I know, I know. I can hear my mom's voice now. But how could that nurse be so heartless? Have you ever been so angry at someone because of how badly they hurt you or someone you love? I mean, so stinking mad and you know you need to shake it because it's not good for you, but you just can't? That's how I felt. I felt like I had to let it go because I didn't have time to get sideways with staff or to have anything get in my way, distracting me from making sure Archer got what he needed to heal. I didn't want to hold it against her either, forever. It's just bad juju, you know? I don't want that. I'd close my eyes. And I took a number of deep breaths just to calm myself down. I really hated her for trampling on Archer's belief and my hope. Breathe, Louise. She had no right to say what she said. Breathe, Louise. She should not have been so certain about something she didn't have the full picture of. Breathe, Louise. Come, Holy Spirit. Change my heart. She was just doing her job. She didn't know how her words would impact Archer and Paula. She thought she was being helpful. Okay. Better now. Please, God, help me. Please help me. Oof. I realized I might just have to get used to these kinds of comments since she wasn't the only one to say things so glibly without awareness of their impact. These nurses and doctors may have experience and knowledge, but how do they know they don't? They know some things, but I was clear They really don't have the full picture if they don't listen to the patient and believe what they cannot see. They're not the only experts around here. Who knows Archer's sensations better than he does? 
Archer gave important information about his experience with his body, even if it were in his imagination. What he sees as possible is as important a medicine as any. It is. Yes, they could all practice much stronger medicine if they realized that. I felt confused. I had a lot of questions I wanted answers to, but I wasn't sure where to turn to get the answers. I felt myself not trusting this staff. I didn't doubt that they were mostly good people, but I just didn't trust that what I would hear was wholly reliable, the complete truth. So far, they only look at what is before them and what is familiar, but they omit acknowledging what is unfamiliar or what they cannot see. I wanted both. And what I really wanted was to trust them. I just wasn't sure. And you know, something else that would have been nice and that would have made it all fine again would have been that nurse just having a little bit of awareness. Is that asking too much of medical staff? I mean, we all say things we regret, right? I do. And we regret them because we have awareness. We have a conscience. Yes, we have consciences about our impact. We have a moral impulse to not hurt others. And we feel bad when we learn that we have hurt others, especially when we didn't mean to, right? Or maybe especially when we did mean to. But think about it. We don't have the opportunity to feel bad if we're not aware. It's in feeling bad and feeling remorseful that we say, I'm sorry. It's not that hard. I just wanted to shake her and say, don't you realize what you said to my children and in the presence of my son? I mean, she could have said something like, oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said it that way. We really don't know everything about spinal cord injury. I so wanted to forgive her for God's sake. Just give me a means to forgive you, lady. Oh, I've got to let this go. I recently talked to my daughter, Paula, about what she recalls, if anything, about this. As we looked back for the first time on these early days, here's an excerpt of our conversation. You and Pete were reading to Archer and just trying to, I think, take his mind off things. And um, we were trying really hard to create some sense of quiet in that room because it was so loud with all the bells and buzzers and everything. I was probably, I mean, I was in a state of trauma too. Yeah, we are getting wiped out that day. All these things. Do you remember any of that? 
I mean, I remember the feet thing. I remember feeling empty, but I don't remember. I just feel like I felt empty for a while. Because we were like so elated. And then she just like tore it all down. Because we really thought Archer felt his feet and I believed him and I still believe him. I -hmm. still think, you know, and and what could, what was more wonderful is that he did and he wanted to. Yeah. The wanting to part. Like, I just felt like, like, how dare you take that? Like, I think, I don't know. I'm trying to remember. Like, I think that the, I definitely have blank spots, I think from the trauma, but I do remember feeling really, I felt like on a roller coaster of like really hopeful and then really hopeless. And there was like no middle ground. Like there was, and I felt like that a couple times, I think, but yeah, like wanting to believe the best and wanting to believe Archer. And then just to have like, I don't know, like the authority figure say otherwise, right? Like really goes to show you how important feedback is from people who are quote unquote in charge because they can have lots of impact that they don't even realize. Probably one of the reasons I don't remember it so much is because it did impact me so much. Because I think that that's kind of part of my, you know, what I'm working on is feeling all of the, feeling all of life rather than just the parts that I want to feel. (laughs) And that was probably my first real experience. Well, Archer in general is my first real experience, like real, real experience with like, you know, extreme heartache. I think I was just probably reaching a part of myself that I didn't know existed, which thanks to you. (laughs) I mean, not to say that like, it's been all roses and butterflies forever and ever, but this was obviously different. Yeah. That's really beautiful how you just described that. And if you're hanging by a thread anyways, on the hope piece, it's very, it's a very easy thread to cut. Yes, it is a very, very easy thread to cut. I walked back to the family waiting room to trade places with Paula and Pete. I knew Kathy G was on her way. I wanted to go see if I could find the place they told me I had to go to fill out a form to ask for a copy of the x-rays they took of Archer's lungs. Yeah, I forgot to tell you that I asked an x-ray tech when I arrived this morning and also a nurse a little bit ago if I could see the x-ray when they took it this morning and then again a little while ago when they took it again. And well, both of them told me I had to go to some medical records office and fill out some request form to see Archer's x-rays. It's unbelievable. I walked down the hall. You know, the sounds of the trauma unit are loud all the time, like the and some are intermittent and frenetic, ranging from beeps to ringing, buzzers, dinging bells. But there's a new constant one I noticed today. Ooh, ee, ooh. Ooh, ee, 
Oh, that was a different monitor. I had so much to learn. I found it hard to think sometimes, though, because there were so many different sounds. And then there were the buzzer and alarm sounds coming from this hallway and the beeps and machine sounds coming from the room adjacent to ours. I can't describe to you how loud it was, but if you've ever been in a trauma unit, you know, it's just a constant droning sound in the background. I had hoped Pete's reading aloud to Archer had taken Archer's mind off of all those sounds. But I realize now, I hope it takes it off of whatever his mind might be on after that nurse said what she said so glibly. I wondered what was on Archer's mind. I couldn't imagine, really. Well, Archer really does love to cook. At least he did. And he is good. And he can be very immersed in something he is interested in for long, long periods of time. He's kind of a perfectionist and a curious person. He likes to get it right, but he's never paralyzed by perfection. Just the opposite. It gives him a drive to do whatever he's doing well. Always experimenting, getting it right in his eyes. It's a big motivator for him. He'd create delicious things for us to eat until he had it just the way he wanted to look and to taste like his key lime pie. And then he'd move on and figure out another recipe and create something that would be just as delicious as it was lovely in its presentation. He has that gift. By the time I found the medical records office and filled out the form, more questions. The lady asked me what doctor they were to be sent to and his address and fax number. I told her they were for me. She looked surprised. She said they don't send records to patients. I said, why? She edited that comment kind of quickly, though, and simply said it was unusual. And then she kind of looked at me and added, well, they would be mailed, but it can take up to 14 days. Mailed? Are you kidding? I just want to see the x-rays today. This is where they told me to go. She said, the reports will be mailed. I told her again, I just want to see the x-rays. The guy told me I could come here. She said, that's a different request and that I would have to pay for the films. How much? I asked her. She said she'd have to check. Look, I said, I just want to see my son's x-rays today that this hospital took this morning so I can understand them. She said she really couldn't help me. I don't know how this place works. I feel like I have to really start understanding how it all works around here. I want to look at those x-rays so I can see what they're looking at. I just want someone to show me what they see about Archer's lungs. He's my son. They look, do not explain to me, or they just move that machine out so quickly. The techs take the picture, and then they tell me a doctor will just need to review it. 
I did not succeed. So I headed back. I guess I was gone about an hour or so by the time I got back from my unsuccessful wasted mission. I slipped back into the empty family waiting room. I had so many calls to make. I hadn't even sent my siblings an update and it was already afternoon. Where does the time go? I did a search for what I had started to send to my family earlier. Let's see, when was the last thing I sent to them? I felt my heart sink as I read it to see where I left off and to see where I needed to now begin. I texted, family update, please keep the prayers coming. I'm sorry it's so late with an update. Last night was a long night and it's already been another big day. When Archer's left lung collapsed, they continued to paddle on him vigorously many times and turned him and tried other things into the night. It was scary to experience. I thought they might break his ribs. Then he stabilized. Billy and I changed guard, but his night duty was more difficult as both of Archer's lungs collapsed and efforts to revive were not enough to get enough oxygen saturation, regardless of the 100% work of the ventilator breathing for him. So they inserted two large tubes from two new machines into his chest to remove any air, to remove pressure from punctures in his lungs. So the prayer that Archer will breathe on his own is still very important, critically important. We had a big morning into this afternoon with many medical staff. Billy and I came up with a system to communicate with Archer as we can see his distress when he struggles very hard to tell me something. We are also massaging his hands and feet on and off all day. We know he can't feel it as we ask him and tell him what we're doing and why. I believe it will help. I tell him circulation and love will stimulate open neural pathways if not now, then later, and that we have all the time in the world. He nods. On a positive note, he is very uplifted by artwork from Lillian's Girls and a poster the Cape May friends made with pictures and drawings of stuff he loves, like tennis, art, lacrosse, pancakes, Monopoly money, surfing, croquet, etc. They're hanging in his room high up over his bed thanks to Pete so he can see them easily. They made him smile as best he can. And late afternoon, four of Dewey's and his McDonough lacrosse friends drove over and his spirits really lifted. He tried to give a high five with a dangling floppy arm. But he tried. His stats on his monitor stabilized by noon and our system of rudimentary communication using the keyboard of the iPhone, which we hold up over his head for easy sight and ask top row, middle row, bottom row, waiting for a slight nod. And then we start with each letter in the row. My text continued. He has given us three messages today. One, to Billy and me, will you massage shoulders? Two, put head up. 
which we did, calling a nurse since he was lying flat. And three, to Pete, just a couple hours ago, I felt my feet, and he smiled. We said it was the miracle of the day. The nursing staff said it was the swelling, which mimics sensation. But regardless, it is positive as we see it. Go, Archer. Elated, really. He understands the situation and all the poking and asking. He wants to feel his feet. God will help him feel his feet. Keep the prayers coming. They're working. Looks like we're going to be here till or into September now. The address, FYI, Atlantic Care Medical Center, 1925 Pacific Avenue, TICU. Life can change in the blink of an eye. People going through crisis, it's hard for everyone, for families, and I imagine for medical staff too. Kind words from nurses go a long way. You may not have thought about this before, but kind words come from the way we choose to use our power. That's right. Words are a source of power. And when we use words to lift someone up, we have used our power for well-being. And we know how powerful, hurtful, or mean, or thoughtless words are. A role of authority is another source of power. Hospital and medical staff are roles of authority. And this includes nurses. Nurses are closest to the patient and may have the strongest power currency in a hospital. Many nurses may not even realize it. If they don't realize their power, then they may unwittingly give it up, let others take it from them. At worst, though, is when nurses deny their power. That's when they are most likely to misuse it. Loose lips, unthoughtful statements, gossip, undermining others' truths. The same goes for any one of us in the role of authority. Parents, teachers, coaches, aunts, uncles. We are more dangerous when we have power and deny it. We have been vested with power in our role and we need to be aware of it. What we say matters, doubly so in our positions of authority. And in these roles, our words have the ability to lift someone up or to tear someone down in just one sentence. 
I am sure you can think of lots of situations, right? You might even have your own story. There are scores of other people's painful stories when they were kids or adults being dismissed, told what they couldn't do or that their experiences or feelings were wrong. Now, add into that a crisis, a trauma, and those same people who may appear strong and functional, and indeed, they can be extraordinary to be functioning at all in a crisis, but experiencing trauma, they are fragile. The world they knew is falling apart. What you say matters ever so much. You know, I learned this from my mediation divorce clients. I would hear their stories of how they sought out litigation divorce lawyers before finding transformative mediation. They would tell me how they were told time and time again at those first divorce lawyer consultations, either, don't worry, I'll get you everything and basically crush your spouse, wipe them out, annihilate, take them for whatever they got, you know, whatever. Or they would be told, you're hosed. There's not much I can get for you. Either way, the client reported to me feeling weaker and even more self-defeated than when they first stepped foot in that office for a consultation. What they wanted was to get out of a bad situation and to be protected because they were afraid. Their world was upside down. And the divorce lawyers thought that the best way to get them out and to protect them was to wipe out the other spouse. But what the clients really yearned for was to feel strong again, to be restored, to be neither a victim or a victimizer, and to not be alone in the process. It's really similar in any trauma. What people experiencing trauma need is to be supported, cared for held gently, and to have someone with them, supporting them while they figure it out. It's the road of compassion that we are called upon to walk with those in trauma. And just one kind word can equal a fellow traveler. Yes, their worlds are upside down and their journeys will be long. And kind words in trauma units at hospitals go a long way. Words like, it's really hard now. It will get better. Or, that's possible. We'll wait and see. Or even, maybe. While it's not probable, we just don't know. Spoken from the heart. Yes, words of compassion from those in authority go a long way.
But when empathy and compassion are not there for us in trauma, whether in the hospital or elsewhere, or when the words used are cold or seem heartless, my sense is that the only way forward is through and with forgiveness. Yes, it is both unkind and bad manners to dismiss anyone's experience. If you have ever offended someone because you didn't say the right thing, it's okay. Hey, say a big thank you to the divine source for giving you the ability to be aware. And let forgiveness begin with forgiving yourself. Now, if you are not well-intended, well, consider looking within and getting right with yourself. When we say hurtful things, it might be because we are just not awake and aware. Or it could be that we are just on automatic or have become numb to other suffering. Or it might be because it's a part of us that is wounded from the past. And we project that onto others. We walk around with a lot of defense mechanisms to protect ourselves, you know? When we say hurtful things to others, it might be because we're walking around with an old wound not healed from earlier in our lives, like when we weren't taken care of or when we felt abandoned. Maybe you've been walking around with one for a really long time, like years, maybe even since you were a small child. So much of our suffering is rooted in our own reactivity and ways we try to protect ourselves when we believe somebody else didn't. But it's okay. It's just the way it is. It's part of our humanity. But we have such incredible capacity to be kinder than what one hurtful interaction may trigger. Forgiveness really starts with us at home, if you will. It starts with you. It starts with me. I mean, I didn't have to wait for that nurse to say she was sorry. I wanted her to. And it would have made it a lot easier and even faster for me to forgive her. But she didn't. So forgiveness has to be with me. Same for you. If you're the one who was hurt by someone else, you might wait forever for them to give you permission to forgive. But that's just allowing someone else to take away your power. Your power is already within. You can look at that more closely, too. We waste a lot of precious time waiting on others to come around. But if we look harder, look harder, you know, like Rafiki in the Disney movie, The Lion King, said to Simba, Look 
Hara Simba. We can awaken our own self-awareness and we can change how we think and we can see we have choices and then we can be more open to others as they are to themselves even when they are not their best selves just like we hope they might do for us when we are not our best selves and we can be resilient in a world that might not always say or do loving things to us. We can find our ground again in a beautiful world full of potential, even if others do not see it. So I forgive that nurse for what I wish she had not said. And I forgive myself for thinking such harsh thoughts about her. And I will find my voice to talk with her about it. But how about what I say now and what you say? Begin with saying to yourself, I am not alone because you are not. Oh, doesn't that make you feel strong from within? It does me. Strong enough to stand up and strong enough to let go, to relax those thoughts that cause us even more suffering. Yes, you and I are loved by the divine and all the communion of saints and those who have walked before us and passed over the veil and those who have died for us so that we may live with joy. We are so interconnected. They are with us. They know our struggles. They know our good hearts. And when we experience our hearts being darkened, it's just momentary because that communion of saints, that grace, however you want to define it, it's there all along to help us look harder, to help us find the light again. You are never alone. We are supported to live and to live in the light. And loving ourselves first allows us to love others, and to live life fully and more lightly and carry on even when our burdens feel heavy. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Please subscribe on our site, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen. 
If you have a story to share, please contact Louise Phipps Senf directly. Louise at blink of an eye She would love to hear from you.